Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, this is Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. With me is Bobby Walter, our regional director in the greater New York area. Shalom, Bobby. Shalom, Mitch, and shalom to all of our listeners. As always, we are grateful that you're joining us today. Wow, how exciting. We're continuing along in a great series where we're talking about some of the high points of the ministry and life of Jesus in the Gospels, and we are trying to see these events and some statements through Jewish eyes, through a uh, Jewish perspective, which... Another way of phrasing that is through understanding it in light of the Judaism that Jesus understood and knew in what we call Second Temple Judaism, because, of course, the, the dominant institution, the dominant religious institution during the time of Jesus was the temple uh, that had been rebuilt and expanded uh, by Herod. If you go to Israel today, um, you won't see the temple. You, you'll see the mount upon which the temple uh, had been built. But you can see some of the steps, the southern steps that led up to the temple. And some will argue that those are older than the Wailing Wall, which was an outer wall. The temple steps may have been a little bit more original. Um, and I love walking up and down on the, on the southern steps because I really genuinely feel that Jesus and the disciples walked up and down those steps. Yeah. <laughs> and so those yes. are sacred steps for me. It's it's I'm, special. It's special. It's you special. Know, and, and you also get your cardio in when you do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be overly mystical here, Bobby, but I just love doing a Bible study on the Southern Steps, especially talking about uh, the book of Acts. So talking about the book of Acts, I do believe that uh, in Acts chapter 2, that Peter's first sermon in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, was given on the uh, temple steps. And um, he moved from the outer room uh, to, I think, the temple steps. And one of the reasons I say that is because of the immediacy of the opportunity for baptism. Right, right. And uh, right below the southern steps are rows of baptismal fonts where uh, Jewish people could repent and be baptized right. Uh, right. immediately. Yeah, and what's also cool is, uh, you know, recent archaeological discoveries uh, have found those southern steps that go all the way down to the southernmost tip of the city of David, where the Pool of Siloam was. Aha, there we go. Yeah. Um, now, we're looking at Acts chapter 1 just for a moment, where Yeshua, Jesus, gathered his disciples uh, on a Judean foothill before he ascended. Um, he knew he was ascending. Um, and remember earlier, uh, he had said that he needs to ascend to the Father before uh, he can send his spirit. And so there are two things that are in real play here. Number one is the Great Commission, which he had given in Matthew 28, really 18 through 20, mm -hmm. but mo mostly in 19 and 20. And that was the mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. And remember, that mandate to make disciples was given to a bunch of Jewish guys. <laughs> you know, so the Great Commission itself is very Jewish in character. 
and it was the the Jews who were going to reach the Gentile Gentiles, and according to Romans 11, the Gentiles were going to return the favor by making the Jews jealous. That's the way God does what he does. And so this mandate to go into all the world was reiterated in Acts 1, but also the coming of the Holy Spirit, because that was the promise in Joel 2. That was the promise that Jesus mentioned all throughout the Gospels, particularly in the Upper Room Discourse in the Gospel of John. And so the coming of the Spirit was essential to the fulfillment of the mandate. And in order for the Spirit to come, Jesus had to ascend. Mm -hmm. So you, you had each piece sort of relying on the other. And so um, this was after the 40 days in verse 4 of Acts 1. He gathered them together and said, Wait for what the Father promised, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the disciples asked a very obvious question because they were very kingdom-oriented. I mean, some of them probably still couldn't quite figure out, even after 40-day Bible school in his post-resurrection Bible Institute, he, they probably still couldn't figure out why Jesus didn't bring the, the, the Vedic kingdom in uh, after he resurrected from the dead. Okay, he had to die. Right, they figured that out, but now he rose from the dead. So, okay, let's bring it on. Jesus, but he wasn't doing that yet. And so they asked the obvious question in verse 6, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? So they understood that ultimately God would restore the kingdom of David because according to scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, he sits on the throne forever. And according to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 14 and following, this, the Davidic covenant is an eternal kingdom. Israel would never lack a Davidic king for the throne. So they said, are you going to restore it now? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or epics which the Father is fixed by his own authority, but let's go back to what I was really talking about. You will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, that great Greek word martyreo, which of course would take on new meaning as the years went by because the word martyr and the word witness um, became almost inseparable. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remote part of the world. And then, of course, Jesus um, ascended and then the Holy Spirit came. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, Peter began uh, preaching and um, the Jewish apostles uh, were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were now having what they needed to go in the power of the Lord to fulfill the Great Commission. And so the ascension of Jesus um, is tied to the giving of the Holy Spirit to these Jewish disciples to fulfill the mandate that he commanded in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And of course, that has now uh, continued on with Gentile believers, that we are all one in the Messiah, we have one mandate, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have the opportunity now to go into all the world and do what Jesus said to do. We are his active mouths, arms, legs, feet, you name it. We are him going into all the world. So now the question is, where is he? Well, he is in us, but he is not just in us. He went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so... Uh, how do we understand his sitting down 
and what he is now doing at the right hand of the Father, how do we understand that outside of the book of Hebrews? We, we, we can't, can we? I mean, we, we understand that he sat down because his work was finished. But does that mean that he no longer, that the Savior sat at the right hand of the Father and was no longer working on our behalf? I don't think so. Uh, actually, in some ways, his death and resurrection were the beginning of what he was going to do for us. It was the basis for what he could do for us. But now he sits at the right hand. And what does he do now? And how does understanding the Old Testament and understanding Second Temple Judaism help us understand, Bobby, what he is now doing for us at the right hand of the Father? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the short answer to that is he's interceding for us. He is serving in, in such a priestly sort of role right now, uh, actively. Uh, you know, Hebrews and Hebrews 7, um, you know, I'll just read a few passages there. Uh, Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 23, it says this, the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented from by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And I just love the way that that verse ends. He always lives to make intercession for us, for his people, uh, for those who have been redeemed. And, you know, I, I love how so much of the puzzle is put together uh, through the ascension, uh, as Mitch, you described already in Acts chapter 1 and in Acts chapter 2. We have these kingdom promises being fulfilled. We have the ongoing promise that God will one day restore the kingdom to Israel. When, when Jesus responded to the question from the disciples uh, about the kingdom to Israel, he didn't rebuke them and say, no, 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 you're being silly. You're missing the point that uh, God will never restore the, the kingdom to Israel. Instead, he says, hold on. We're, we're kind of, uh, we're hitting the delay button or the pause button on the fullness of that promise being fulfilled. Until then, I'm going to ascend, I'm going to be making intercession for you, and you are now equipped to be these representatives, these ambassadors sent by the king himself to spread the kingdom message, to spread the good news of the Messiah to Israel and to the ends of the earth, to everyone. Uh, because, again, the puzzle pieces coming together because that is in fulfillment of God's initial promise to Abraham at the start when he created the Jewish people. Uh, God has always had this global impact in view that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham and through his seed. And ultimately, that seed is the Messiah, Jesus himself. You know, Bobby, it's also uh, interesting that, remember, the temple was still standing. Mm -hmm. So we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but we know who the readers of Hebrews were. The readers of the book of Hebrews were Jewish believers, and they were alive at a time when the temple was still standing. And it's amazing when you think about it, because the once-for-all sacrifice was made, and yet the sacrifices were still being offered. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this was better than PowerPoint, you know, uh, where (laughs) imagine a Jewish believer standing there in the temple area, looking at sharing the gospel with a fellow Jewish person saying, you see those sacrifices? Those really point to what Yeshua did. And 
He made the once-for-all sacrifice and sat down at the right hand of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father. And now you do not need to do those sacrifices anymore unless you want to because the once-for-all sacrifice has been made. And not only that, but those sacrifices actually were portraits. They were never, big word, efficacious. They never worked. Hmm. They never worked. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. His work was done. Waiting, waiting for what? Waiting for the time when he would return to establish his kingdom. He would destroy the enemies of God and the enemies of the Jewish people and establish his kingdom. Uh, So what an illustration for evangelism. (laughs) I wish I was there. You know, at that time, it would have been so much easier to describe this to my family. You know, you see what they're doing? It's not going to (laughs) work. What works is what Yeshua, Jesus, just did. But where is he? Well, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And you can know him if you receive him as your Messiah. And that work that he did in dying for our sins and rising from the dead, that was effective. It was efficacious. It not only uh, endures for the moment, but it lasts forever. One last passage, because the writer of Hebrews quoted from Jeremiah chapter 31, and their sins and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more. And so uh, God places his laws on their heart and on their minds, but forgets their sins. Isn't that wonderful? And so those sacrifices really work. When Jesus died, that sacrifice worked forever. Shalom, dear friends. This is Mitch Glazer again from Chosen People Ministries. I want to tell you about a new program that we have for outreach that every Christian can be involved in. If you love the Jewish people, then you're going to love this program because it's going to give you the opportunity to share directly with Jewish people who will be staying in your home. That's right. You will be the host because we have started a program called HostIsraelis.com. There's a cultural phenomenon in Israel. Young people go into the army and get out when they're usually about 22, sometimes a little younger, sometimes a little older. And after they get out of the army, they travel. And they love traveling to very different places all over the globe, from Latin America to Asia to North America. And so we started HostIsraelis.com. That's a website where you can go and find out more about how to host Israelis in your home. And it's wonderful because we have training. uh, We have opportunities for you to list your home. And I'm sure you'll find a lot of information available so that you can host an Israeli traveling through the United States and show them the love of Jesus uh, through the way you speak with them, through your hospitality. Uh, You might even feed them once in a while or help them see the sights around your home. You're going to have a wonderful opportunity to love on these Israeli young people through hostisraelis.com.
Well, right now we're going to hear from another really good friend, uh, Rich Freeman, who is actually one of the men who discipled me when I was a newer believer. And uh, as a kid, Rich was called anti-Semitic names by his classmates, and he blamed Christianity for the way he was treated. But years later, his views were challenged when tragedy struck, and he learned what it meant to find peace in Yeshua, Jesus. Uh, Rich is a very important part of Chosen People Ministries. He and his wife, Julia, lead our ministry to churches. And if your church would like to have Chosen People Ministries, then you need to get in touch with Rich and Julia. And you'll want to after you hear this incredible testimony of God's grace. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, in a neighborhood called Bensonhurst. Our Judaism was more cultural than anything else. Uh, The only time we went to synagogue was on the high holidays. I was about 11 years old, and it was, we had Hebrew school on Sunday morning. A group of older Catholic kids grabbed my kippah, and they began flipping it around. You are a Christ killer. I said, what are you talking about? I mean, Jesus was a, a historical figure from centuries before. How could I be a Christ killer? And my dad, who had a lot of bad experiences in World War II, said they've been blaming us for his death for centuries. At their core, they're anti-Semitic. They hate Jews. In uh, the company that I work for, Texaco, the office that we worked in was a bunch of cynical New Yorkers. And now we're told this Texan is going to be our boss. Hi, how y'all doing? I'm BR. He didn't even have a, a name. He just had initials. And my dad always said the worst, most anti-Semitic Christians were people from the South. 20 to 8, I walk into the office, and there's BR waiting with a smile on his face. Hi, how y'all doing? How could someone be so happy on Monday morning? He says, I'm just happy every day. I just wanted to find out what the deal was with him. So I said to him, BR, I never hear a bad word come out of your mouth. You never say anything about anyone. You're always calm. You're always peaceful. What's the deal? Why are you so different? And I'll never forget this. He looked me in the eye. And he said, are you sure you want to hear the the reason? And then he takes out, out of his desk drawer, the biggest Bible I ever saw in my life. A lot of ribbons hanging out, obviously well-worn. And he said, this Bible, this is what makes me different. I read the Word of God every day. And I thought to myself, man, this guy wants to tell me about Jesus. Oh, man, what have I done? He said something to me that nobody had ever said before. He said, Rich... Jesus isn't only my Savior, He's your Messiah. Well, I got so angry when he said that. And I said to him, look, Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not. He would bring, he's supposed to bring peace in the world. There's no peace in the world, and my people have been killed because of Jesus. If you want to stay my friend, you'll never tell me about Jesus again. And he never did. One particular night I was watching TV, my my kids were in bed, and my wife came home, and she walked down the steps, and I sat up to say hi to her, but instead of her saying hello, she started crying. She says, you need to believe in Jesus. That's the only way to get to heaven. I said, what? Who told you that? And man, that really caused us to have a big argument. A couple of weeks after all this took place, uh, my son 
fell and broke his arm. The doctor said, well, we're going to need to do a biopsy. He said, there's a tumor on his arm. So here I am, uh, devastated. This is, my, at the time, my only son. And my wife, this new person who suddenly moved into my house, said to me, I have peace about this. And that wasn't my wife's usual demeanor. It suddenly dawned on me that my wife was starting to act like BR. On the way to work that day, I did something that I had never done in my life, other than my bar mitzvah lessons. I prayed. God, if you really are who my wife says you are, then show me. My wife called, and when I picked up the phone, I could tell that she was crying. I said, honey, what's happened? The doctor looked at the x-ray and said to the technician, are you sure this is the right one? I said, well, why would he say that? The tumor is gone. Brian is healed. God has healed our son. And I just got this weird feeling that came over me. I, I got chills from my head to my toes, and then I felt warm from my toes going up to my head. And I realized that God said, you want me to show you? Okay, try this. Things just started happening. God really was working in my life very quickly. I came to this Messianic congregation with my wife, and suddenly I realized that this Jesus, who he called Yeshua, I had never heard that name before, this Yeshua is in my Bible. I was intellectually understanding that this Jesus, Yeshua, was the Messiah. And one particular night, I was having a conversation with my wife, and I, I said to her, tell me what this all is about. What does it mean to be saved? What does that word mean? You need an atonement. And that's what Yeshua came to do, to be your atonement, to pay the penalty for your sins. That's what being saved means. And I said, oh, I believe that. And she looked at me and smiled and said, when were you gonna tell me? My wife grabbed my hand, and we knelt at the foot of our bed, and I prayed and asked Yeshua to come into my heart. And my life has never been the same since. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, the fall feasts will be upon us soon, and these holy days are especially meaningful to believers in Jesus. But you might be wondering how or why. And that's why Mitch and his wife Sahava wrote a book called The Fall Feasts of Israel. This book is designed to help us appreciate the lasting significance of these wonderfully set-apart days. And we'd love to send you a copy today. That's right. Our listening family can get this book for free online by visiting chosenpeople.com radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or request your free book published by Moody Press. It's a couple hundred pages. You're going to like this book. This is really worth getting. 888-293-7482. Call 888-293-7482. And if you prefer, you can also ask for Mitch and Zahava's book by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street in New York, New York, 10022. 
And when you reach out today, don't forget to let us know where and how you're listening to this program. And now, let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach. Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.